Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Saving Grace, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Here's Pastor Nick. For our lives and for our faith. And this is the first thing we need to understand about the gospel. The gospel is good news, not good advice. The word gospel, it means, literally, what it means and what it meant in that context. It means a pronouncement or a declaration of something good that has happened. Something good that has happened. So imagine in ancient times, if the king went off and he was in some faraway battlefield and he won a great victory, and by that victory, as a result of that victory, he secured freedom and peace and security for the people, then what would the king do? He would send out his messengers with what? A proclamation. A proclamation. A gospel a gospel proclamation uh, with his messengers to go out into all the lands, every corner, every village, and proclaim the good news of what had happened, to proclaim the good news of the king's victory, to declare that the war was over, the king had won, and peace had come. And that's what this word gospel means. It's the proclamation of something wonderful that has happened, something that has been done that changes everything. And so that's what we need to understand. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done, that he came came to us. He fought our battle for us. He obtained the victory which we could never obtain on our own. He accomplished it through his life and through his death and through his resurrection. He defeated sin and he defeated death and the devil and he opened the door for us to be reconciled to God and have eternal life. The gospel is good news, not good advice. It's a declaration of what has been done, of what Jesus did for you in order to rescue you and save you. Another person who responded to this survey said this, The gospel is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now that's getting a whole lot closer. But again, I want you to just notice this. The focus of that statement is what? Is it about what he did or is it about what you have to do? It's still talking about what you have to do. Now we're going to talk about that the gospel does absolutely demand a response from us. But at its heart, the gospel is first and foremost a declaration, not of what you and I have to do for God, but what God has done for us in Christ. Now, how do we respond to that news? That is absolutely important. We're going to talk about that in a minute. That's our third point. But we can't put the cart before the horse. We can't confuse what the gospel is with how we are to respond to it or what the gospel does. So the gospel is not primarily advice to be followed. It is a declaration of what God has done and what Jesus has accomplished. Secondly, the gospel is news but it's not new. It's news, but it's not new. That's what Paul says in verse 2. He says, The gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Yesterday we took a group from church here down to Denver to the museum, and we saw the Dead Sea Scrolls. And at one of the displays, I was really kind of surprised by what it said. Here's what it said. It said, Christians like to think that their faith developed independently of Judaism, But the Dead Sea Scrolls prove that isn't true. 
Christianity and Judaism share the same roots. And I was like, what? Who are these? Who are they talking about? Who are these Christians who don't think that Christianity and Judaism share the same roots? That's in the Bible. Like that is in verse 2 of this chapter. Paul is saying right here, the gospel isn't something new. It's not something that Jesus' followers came up with 2,000 years ago. The gospel is something that the Old Testament promised. It was promised by the prophets of old from way back, right? Like, so you read the Old Testament and that's what it's about. The coming of the Savior, the gospel. So do you know where the first instance of the gospel is found in the Bible? It's found in the very first book of the Bible. The very first, like you turn, you're on like page two. That's where it's at. The very first book of the Bible called the book of Genesis. It's, and it's referred to by a title. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. Which Proto-Evangelium literally means the first gospel or the original gospel. And the Bible begins in this way, in, in page one, right? It starts telling us a description of how God created the world, how he created it in love as a work of art. And he created the man and the woman. He formed them with his own hands out of the ground and he breathed his own life into them. He loved them and he breathed life into their bodies and he placed them in a garden paradise where they had everything they needed. And yet in spite of that, they turned their backs on him and they rebelled against him. And they opened the door for evil to come into the world. And as they did that, it brought along with it all kinds of other stuff. Hatred, sickness, death, greed. And God looked at this and it broke his heart. And he told the people, you guys created this problem, but I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to do something about it. And he told them, here's what I'm going to do. One day, there's going to be a person. A person will be born, and he will defeat the enemy, and he will make things right. He will fight the enemy, and he will be himself mortally wounded. But yet, in the end, he will defeat the enemy once and for all and forever. And then the rest of the Bible is all about that promise. It's the story of how God is working in history to bring about that promise, to bring that promise to fruition. That's what the whole Bible is about. It's the big story that all the little stories together tell. It's this big story of the promise, the gospel. And so the gospel is good news, but it's not new. It's not a new teaching. It's not a new message. It's the same thing that God has been promising and declaring since the beginning of time through the prophets down through history. The gospel is good news, but it's not new. That's verse 2. And thirdly, the gospel is about Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. Look at what verse 3 says. It says, the gospel of God concerning his son. That is the content of the gospel. It is Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus. It's about who he is. It's about what he has done. The center of Christianity revolves around the person of Jesus. See, the gospel, three things on that point from verse 3 and 4 and 5. First of all, verse 3. The gospel is the declaration that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. One of the main promises that God gave through the prophets down through the ages was that when the Savior would come, he would be descended from King David, the great king of Israel. And so Jesus, he meets that requirement. He fulfills that requirement, we're told in verse 3. So Jesus fulfills the requirement of the promise. Secondly, verses 3 and 4 tell us the gospel is the declaration that Jesus is both fully human and fully God. Jesus is both fully human and fully God. Verse 3 tells us he descended from David after the flesh. In other words, Jesus is a flesh and blood human being. But verse 4 tells us that he was declared to be the Son of God. And then it says that he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now that word Lord 
we can easily take that word for granted, but that word is a really big deal. See, for the Jewish people and for the Roman people, that word was reserved for speaking about deity. So for the Romans, you might remember in history class, they had this saying where the Caesars declared themselves to be gods, and they made people take this oath of allegiance that said, Caesar is Lord. To say Caesar is Lord was more than just to say that you uh, declare your allegiance to Caesar. It was to say, not only do I declare my allegiance to Caesar, but I recognize that he is divine. And Christians famously said, no, we will not say that phrase. For the Jews, the word Lord was the word that they used to speak about God. And the reason was because they considered the personal name of God, which we believe is pronounced Yahweh. But they considered it so sacred that they were afraid to take it on their lips, lest they accidentally use it in vain and God finds them unworthy. And so they wouldn't say that word, the proper name or the personal name of God. Instead, they would call him Adonai or Lord. And so what Jesus is saying here, it says that Jesus was declared Lord. It's a reference to Jesus' deity. So this is who Jesus is. Fully God, fully man. God come to us in human flesh. If he were not both, he could not be the Savior that we need. And finally, the gospel we see in verses 4 and 5 is the declaration that Jesus died and resurrected in order to give us new life. Jesus died and resurrected in order to give us new life. Verse 4 and 5 tell us he resurrected from the dead, and because of that we can receive grace. We've called this series Saving Grace. Because that's what the gospel is all about. It's about the saving grace of God. You know what grace is? Grace is when you receive something that you don't deserve. That's what grace is. When you receive something that you don't deserve. It's a gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. All you can do is accept it. And and the grace that we've received in Jesus is this. It's the gift of new life in him. Paul mentions here, he says we've received grace. And he said we've received apostleship. Earlier in his life, Paul had been a murderer. He had been a bad dude. He had been a blasphemer. And yet, God poured out grace upon him. Rather than giving him what he deserved, God forgave him and gave him a new life, a new identity, a new purpose, and he made him an apostle. And that same grace is available to you today. I hope you know that. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message. 
That is the good news of the gospel. Jesus came, the one promised through the ages, fully God, fully man, and he lived the life that you ought to have lived, and he died the death that you ought to have died. He took the judgment for what you've done, and as a result, you can receive grace, a new life, a new identity, a new purpose, and a new calling. Let's talk about that next point. So that's what the gospel is. Now, what does the gospel do? First of all, we see verses 5, verse 7, verse 16. The gospel saves you. That's what the gospel does. First of all, the gospel saves you. Verse 5 says this, that because of what Jesus did, we can receive grace. Verse 7 says this. He says, to those who are in Rome who are called to be saints. That's an interesting word, isn't it? So I grew up going to Catholic church sometimes. My dad was Roman Catholic. My mom was Lutheran. And I went to Lutheran school, but I always kind of liked going to Catholic church better because there's so much more stuff to do. You know, there's candles and statues, and it was a whole sensory experience. But if I could choose to go to church, I would always, as a kid, choose to go to Catholic church. But one of the things that the Catholic church was really big on was saints. Like, even our church was St. Anne's. It was named after a saint. And, and saints, in, in their understanding, were people who lived a long time ago, and they met certain criteria. They had done a miracle in their life, and they had lived a life that was exemplary. They had lived a holy life. That's why it's so interesting here that we read in verse 6 that he says, all of you guys who are in, in Rome, and you're all called to be saints. And he says that's inherent to what it is to be a Christian, is to be called a saint. And that's really interesting because these people are, are not dead. They didn't live a long time ago, right? He's calling them in the time when they're alive, you are saints. Even though probably some of them didn't live very awesome lives. And yet, simply because they have embraced the gospel and put their faith in Jesus, he tells them that that makes them saints already. The word saint, by the way, it just literally means a holy person. A holy person. And that's where it gets really interesting. Because in this word, saint or holy person, we get to the very heart of the gospel and what makes the gospel so mind-blowing and incredible. Remember that story I told you about Martin Luther? How Martin Luther tried as hard as he could to be holy, to be right with God, so that God would be pleased with him and accept him. And yet, no matter how hard he tried, he failed. Well, another word for holiness is the word righteousness. It means to be right. And the Bible tells us that in order to be right with God, you have to be righteous, you have to be holy. And our greatest problem as human beings, and we're going to talk about this more next week and the week after, our greatest problem as human beings is that we are not righteous. We are not holy. We have fallen short. In fact, we continually fall short. I don't need to explain that to you. You know that. We all inherently know that. And as a result... We are at enmity with God. We are separated from God. And unless something happens, we're going to be cut off from God forever. We talked about that last week when we talked about hell and exclusivity. So Martin Luther thought, well, look, I got to do something about this. And so he said, maybe if I can get away from everything, if I can get away from all the temptations in my life and my moron friends who are always talking me into doing dumb stuff, if I can get away from all that stuff and just seclude myself, then I'll be free from temptation and I won't sin anymore. And then, maybe then, I can be holy and right and God will accept me. And he tried it and it didn't work. Because here's the thing, the problem wasn't outside of him. He thought the problem was something outside. But as he came to know, it was a problem. The problem was inside of him. And you can't run away from yourself. And because of that, he grew. He said, I grew to hate the word holiness. I hated it. 
he said. I hated the word righteousness because every time I saw it, it reminded me that God is holy and I am not, that God is righteous and I'm not. And as a result, he felt God is disappointed with me, he's annoyed with me, and I'm never good enough and I never will be. And so he said, I hated those words, holiness and righteousness. He said, until that day when I read Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, which say this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And check this out. For in it, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed that is from faith for faith. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And he said, that was my breakthrough. That changed everything. He realized something that he had never realized before. That the message of the gospel, the good news, is that because of what Jesus did, now God offers us his own righteousness as a gift. In other words, God makes us holy. In other words, we don't make ourselves holy. God makes us holy and we receive that gift by faith. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's why being a Christian means to be a saint, a person who has been made holy, not by your own merits, but because God has credited his righteousness to you. It's kind of like if you were in school and you got your report card and it was all F's, right? You got like one F plus, but it was still an F. And you're like, dang it, they're going to kick me out of the school. And there was this other kid, this smart kid, teacher's pet, and he's got straight A's. And you're like, man. But he says, you know what? I'm going to do something. He takes your report card, scratches out your name, writes his name on it. He takes his report card, scratches out his name, writes your name on it, hands it back to you. And then he takes the punishment. He gets kicked out so that you can receive the passing grade and be not only a passing grade, but the valedictorian. See, the message of the gospel is that because of what Jesus did for you, God now looks at you in a whole new way. He imparts Jesus' holiness to you. He credits Jesus' righteousness to you. He makes you holy. He makes you righteous. And in Jesus, you are those things. Not because you earned it. It's God's gift to you. And when Martin Luther realized that, he said, I used to hate those words. But now I've understood the gospel. And now he said, I love those words. They are the greatest source of comfort and hope to me in the whole world. Because now I understand it's not my righteousness, it's not my holiness, it's God's righteousness and holiness which he has given to me in Christ. And so because of that I can stand before him confidently knowing that he loves me, that he accepts me, and he's pleased with me because of Jesus. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul loves, if you read his letters, he loves to put these two words together, grace and peace. But if you'll notice, in all his letters, it's always in the same order. First grace, then peace. And I don't think that's a mistake. I don't think it's an accident. Because here's the deal. In order to have peace in your heart and peace with God, you have to receive God's grace. It's only once you've received God's grace that you can truly have peace in your heart and peace with God. So it's grace first and then peace. That's what the gospel does. It saves us because Jesus took our sins and gave us his righteousness. How do we receive that? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Second point here, we're getting to the end. The gospel sets your life on a whole new course. He says in verse 5, the gospel brings about what he calls the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith is when you hand over control of your life over to God and you make him your Lord. Not in order to earn his favor, but because he has already shown you favor and already done things to bless you. 
Have you ever been working on a project before and, and, you know, you're kind of struggling with it and somebody else comes along and they're just so much more capable than you are. And so you say to them, you say, hey, you know what? Could I just have you take over for me because I'm just going to keep messing this up and you're way more capable than I am. That's what the obedience of faith is all about. It's when you see God and you see what he's done for you and you realize how much he loves you and you say, you know what? I'm just going to have you take over from here. Because you're way more capable than I am. And I can see that you know a lot more about this stuff than I do. And I can see that you're totally committed to my best interests. So I'm going to let you be in charge. You call the shots from now on. I'll do what you say. The gospel sets your life on a whole new path. A path of obedience by faith. Surrendering to God and making him your Lord. Verse 6, he says, Those of you who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that I give my life to him and I say, My life is yours. I would just mess it up anyway, but if I give it to you, you'll take it and you'll do something great and glorious with it. So go ahead, take my life, use it however and wherever pleases you the most. Verse 17, he says, the gospel is from faith for faith. From faith for faith. What that means is that the way you receive the gospel is by faith, but then you begin to live by faith. That's why he says, he quotes here, it's actually a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2, where he says, the righteous shall live by faith. You know what that means? Is that once God has done that work in your life of making you righteous, you receive it by faith, and the result of it is that you begin to live by faith. You know, our culture, in our culture, we use this word faith in kind of a, a different way than the way that the Bible uses the word faith, right? Like we use faith when we give like a, a pep talk to the little league team, or right? Like it's halftime at the basketball game, and we tell a team, you got to have faith. Or we say, hey, the Broncos are terrible, but you just got to have faith, right? And we say these kind of things. And for our culture, the word faith has come to mean basically just optimism. Just be optimistic. That's what it means. You got to have faith. But when the Bible talks about faith, it's something different. You could define it this way. When the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about believing something so much that you act on it. Believing something so much that you act on it. That's what it means to live by faith. All of us, I think there are things that all of us believe, but we don't act on them. Like a lot of you probably believe that it's a good thing to floss every day, but I wonder how many of you actually do it. A lot of you probably believe that it's good to change your oil every 3,000 miles, but I wonder how many of you actually do that. To live by faith means that you believe the gospel so much that you actually act upon it. On a practical level, this means that you allow the gospel to shape every area of your life. For example, the Bible talks a lot about this in the New Testament. It talks about how since you have been forgiven, now forgive others. It talks about how you bring the gospel into your marriage and you say, this is how God has loved me and now this is how I'm going to love my spouse. Bring it into your relationships. That God loved you and reached out to you when you were unlovely. And so in the same way, you now reach out to those who you normally wouldn't want anything to do with, but you reach out to them because that is what God has done for you in Christ. Because Jesus gave everything for you, now you Act on that and be radically generous with what he has given you. See, that's what it means to live by faith. It's not obedience. Uh, it's not only obedience and submission to God, but it's applying the gospel to every area of your life. You guys in your community groups are going to talk about that in this coming week. I hope that you have great conversations. But see, here's the other part of that. When we don't do that, that's often what leads to problems and dysfunctions in our lives when we don't act upon the gospel. And so finally, I'll close with this. What are we to do with the gospel? First of all, we're to believe it. What are you to do with the gospel? First of all, believe it. Notice what it says in verse 16. The gospel is the power of God of, for salvation. For who? For everyone who believes. In other words, the gospel won't do anything for you 
unless you believe it. And the last part is this. Not only are you to believe it, but you're also to share it. Not only are you to believe it, but you're also to share it. Verse 8 and 12, this section right here, verses 8 through 12. Let me summarize it for you. Paul says, when I come visit you guys, you're going to encourage me and I'm going to encourage you and we're going to encourage each other. In other words, it's not going to be just a, a one-way thing where I'm encouraging you and you sit there and take it. No, he says, we're going to build each other up in our faith in the gospel. Because here's the thing about good news. Good news isn't meant to be kept to yourself. Good news is meant to be shared. That's why Paul says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. I'll tell you this. Once you have experienced the life-changing power of the gospel, you won't be able to keep it to yourself. Paul couldn't. How can you be ashamed of good news? Paul says, once you experience this grace, you won't be able to keep it to yourself either. So that is my hope and my prayer for you today, that you would believe the gospel that you would experience the gospel's life-changing power so much that you can't possibly keep it to yourself. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this good news of the gospel. Lord, thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. And Lord, this morning, I pray that we would respond to that gospel, that we would respond in, first of all, the obedience of faith, and Lord, that we would also respond by applying the gospel to every area of our lives. Lord, may we respond to it by believing it, by trusting in it and clinging to it and relying on it as our only hope, as our greatest treasure. And Lord, may we respond to the gospel also by sharing this good news with others, unashamed of it, because it is such good news. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.